Dylan, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right today. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, right I think that my camera might be messed up again, but who, who knows? I, I, I obviously this tech stuff I cannot I cannot figure out. Uh, but anyway, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah. it's another another day. Yeah, yeah. mostly okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly okay. Uh, yeah, so obviously, if you are tuning in here, uh, you ha- know who we are or, or you don't, whatever. My name is Zach. This is Dylan. We are some nobodies. And what we do, we are a content creating, uh, media generating group of uh, of individuals that like to just make up stuff. We have weird ideas and we like to turn them into things. We have a movie in progress. Uh, we have a couple of podcasts going on. We have a TV show, which you know, you're watching uh, another one, whatever, whatever. Ideally. Uh, yeah, we, we also have uh, great guests on that have also created some amazing things uh, as well. And we'd like to get their input and make our process a little bit better. But this is called Talking Upstream. And what we do here is try to talk ourselves up to a streaming service, whether it is uh, Peacock or Paramount Plus or uh, Paravision uh, Max or whatever it is <laughs> we're trying to create. Either way, we just want to make up stuff. Uh and yeah, so Dylan, do you want to talk about our our guest today? Yeah, so this week we are joined by Jeffrey D. Calhoun. He is a screenwriter, podcaster. He wrote a book called The Successful Screenwriter. I'm going to bring him on. I think that's what it's called. He's doing something backstage. I'm going to have him on to correct me. <laughs> Hello. Hey. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. That's okay. It's <laughs> I the... swear I read your book. <laughs> right. Yeah, I believe it. No, the guide for every screenwriter is the book. Uh, the That's successful right. screenwriter is the podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the book for a second. Uh, Dylan got into the book. He is a big fan of different screenwriting techniques. Uh, one of the ones that we used to go by is uh, uh, Save the Cat. Is that is yeah. that correct, Dylan? Save um, the Cat is generally what we fall back on okay. for the yeah. show. Now. Yeah. Now, how does your book relate to that style of progress? Yeah, so Save the Cat is uh, it's been it's been about twenty years old now, and it's been the standard for a long time. Um, but I, I felt the uh, uh, screenwriting structure could really use kind of an update. Um, so I use an amalgamation of the greats, and then include my own stuff and subplots as well. And I think that's the one thing like. Save the Cat really never um, talks about his subplots as well as none of the other really the huge books out there don't really kind of talk about subplots. And so that that was my uh, addition to the screenwriting craft. Um, But I mean, I even break it down historically all the way from like Joseph Campbell's Heroes 2000 Faces to how we got to where we are now with structure. Yeah, that was one of the things that Dylan brought up when uh, talking about your book was the subplots. And it's something we try to throw into a lot of our stories because I think that it it adds like a a richness or a a texture to a lot of stories. Um, And on your podcast, though, The Successful Screenwriter, you do a lot of things. You interview people, but you also uh, review movies and and, uh, other things. Like, Do you want to talk about your podcast for a second? 
Yeah, so we have on um, screenwriting guru. So I've been lucky enough to have Dave Trotty or Linda Seeger. I mean, just like greats of of the field. And then on top of you know Hollywood screenwriters, um, you know we had people on there that 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 wrote like uh, uh, several popular films. I've had on uh, Dave Made a Maze and like really popular like Psycho Goreman um, stuff like that. So really popular stuff that's relevant nowadays. Um, and uh, so. With with that, on top of it, I found that I didn't want to just do another movie review because that's very popular. So what I do is I have on I have on a guest, uh, Christy Lee Lussier, and we analyze the films. So we break down the tricks that they're using. We break down how they're getting the character to sell to the audience and visual tricks they're using, like subtext and things like that. And we'll break down the subplots. So we take more of an analysis approach, and, I, and, and we've had a good response from it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I was listening to it earlier, your your last episode. Um, now, when it comes to screenwriting, now do you do you tend to ha have all of your stories have like some sort of like linear um, like thought thread, or is there always like something that you just inherently put in most of your stories? Uh, we'll, we'll get to why I asked that later on. Sure, everybody puts themselves in a story. I mean, here. It doesn't matter who you are. You, you're going to put a part of yourself in the story because story is, is a form of expression of the inner self. I mean, some people even take it spiritual, like it's the how the soul goes on the paper, but like it's going to happen. I use theme. I use theme as a through line for my main plot and my subplots. But when I'm brought on to a gig, um, say someone brings me on to to fix their script, um, I will look through their, through the material they have and say, okay, what can I find? What can I connect to? And then that can help that kind of guide me through the rewrite. Now, on, on the podcast, you don't only talk about movies. I see you've done episodes on like Fallout New Vegas and yeah. a few other podcasts and sort of things. Um, do you ever take considerations from other media into your screenplays or do you find that it's pretty heavily segmented depending on what type of media you are? creating so one of the goals for the podcast was to provide ample opportunities and and areas of education of where writers can go specifically specifically screenwriters because that's my tribe these are the these are the people i care about these are the people that i love so when i get out there and i'm looking for people to interview i was like okay you know let's talk about writing for youtube i'll have something like that coming up soon and and eventually i'll, I'll talk about like going on upwork and getting side gigs but you know i go okay fallout new vegas i love that you know, writing a video game, it's a brilliant video game. It's one of my favorites. And I know screenwriters can get into that field. Can I get that writer? You know, and so then I, I get lucky enough to get him. I bring him on and he's just a fountain of knowledge. And, and I always have the writers talk about their origin stories because I want the listeners to hear how they found success because it, it might be a, a way for them to do it as well. Now, what about yourself? What kind of trajectory have you had in your kind of like screenwriting success then? Oh, my gosh. Like the longest, most painful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it was tough, man. I mean, 15 years of it. I'm a dyslexic dude from Detroit. So, I mean, I started out on the bottom, no connections. Um, I ended up getting into screenwriting on a bet and just loved it and then started writing on my own. Um, and then one day, um, entered a contest and ended up 
hitting the quarters first time. And it, it was a, it was a bigger contest with script Palooza. And I mean, that was the first time I'd ever entered anything. So then refined, started refining the practice and really educating, you know, I'm an autodidact, so I'm self-taught and I found every mentor I could, every seminar I could go to every, I, you know, I've got tons of books behind me. Um, just really becoming a student of this craft and this art um, and really perfecting it. Um, and then, and then one day I was at a festival and um, it wasn't really big on the movie. So I sat out side and I started fixing a director's script. And the next thing you know, I was like holding court and people were asking me to fix their stuff. Um, and then I ended up working with a German actress in London um, and helped her kind of break a story. And um, she started crying because the story helped her break was about a woman who, who finds her daughter and um, the, and comes to terms with it. Um, and uh, she had lost her daughter. And, and once that happened, I started realizing, okay, this is something I can really do. And, uh, and it just kind of, it just kind of burst from there. Now looking over your Wikipedia page, uh, <laughs> <laughs> congrats on that. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was one of my accomplishments that I was like, I just want a Wikipedia page. And then yeah. the other day I saw that yours popped up. And I'm like, oh, man, that's cool. Uh, but you have, you know, obviously written a bunch of things. You've produced. Yeah. You have acted. You have directed. You have a podcast. You're a writer. Um, of, of all the mediums that are out there to create content, which one is your favorite? I love writing. I, I mean, screenwriting is my is my my passion. It's my love. I mean, one day I think I could get more into into directing, um, producing. I kind of sort of tip you know dip my toes in a little bit here and there, but it's never everything I I pursue. I usually just kind of like fall into it. Um, but I love when some when a, when a client comes to me and they say I have a script. It is not working. We're shooting in a month can you help me? And then like, I feel like I get hit by lightning. I just love this. I get like, Oh man, the worse, the better, you know, like how do I make this thing work and really help this person and save this project? Like, I love that. So yeah, that's definitely my passion. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, and your podcast is actually on a pretty great network as well. Do you want to talk about how that network found you or vice versa? I mean, you know, indie film hustle is amazing, right? I, I, I yeah. just, I'm a fan of the show. Alex Ferrari is is a, is just an incredibly uh, generous guy, talented, um, really understands the business of filmmaking. He's savvy, um, and we we just kind of um, fell into it one day. I mean, I, it started when I had pitched him my book and asked if I could be on his show. Um, and then he read the book and was like, come on. So I came on the show and the, and the, and the episode I was on was kind of popular, um, had a lot of hits, which was cool. And, um, and then just kind of started that, that, uh, that, uh, relationship. And then I said, yeah, I've got this other podcast I'm doing, but I'm struggling. Do you have any pointers? And, and then he really helped me refine it and, and, and create a new direction and brand it properly. Um, and then from there, uh, the show was doing okay. And he's like, well, what do you think about coming on the network? And I was like, uh, you had me at hello. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I didn't even have to think twice about it, of course. And so, yeah, I was just so blessed to be on that network and, and part of that community. Yeah, when we found out that we were going to have you on the show, I started listening to your podcast, and then that's when I found out about the network. I'm like, wow, this is a big deal. And then I even asked uh, uh, Alex to be on our show, which I'm still waiting to hear back on that. 
Um, oh, yeah. Well, he's so bu- <laughs> he's so busy. I, I'm sure he'd be, you know, I can't oh, speak I, for him, but he's yeah. he's incredibly busy. Guy. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, no, we did actually ask him, but I, yeah. I, I was kidding about like waiting, you know, for a response. Um, now, when Dylan and I are writing, you know, a script or we're working out some stories, we tend to revert back to some other books and kind of look back and like, oh, we should really put this in here. Do you ever find that you like open your own book and kind of go back and like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was actually uh, a pretty good. Uh, a bit of <laughs> information like, super embarrassing to say yes to this but yeah i've totally <laughs> read my own book like several times <laughs> like sometimes i would be like who wrote this yeah oh yeah this guy it's pretty good <laughs> gotta be your own biggest fan it's hilarious yeah but i have other friends that are like they're doing really well in the industry and like my book is on their desk and like it's one of the first things they grab and to me that's a surprise i mean there's colleges that have adopted it or put it on their must read list um it was just ranked as number two in the one of the, number two of the top 100 books of all time for screenwriting by the book authority you know so like all this stuff happens and like none of it sinks in you know because i'm no. just like a i'm just like a dude doing a thing you know what i mean and um but no yeah i, I think it's i i think the book set does exactly what it's supposed to do is it's a quick reference guide so i it's easy to pick <laughs> up I, I had that thought when I was going through it. I skimmed it at first and I read a few of the sections. Like the subplot stuff is more in-depth than I think any other book I've seen on screenwriting. Um, Thank you. And the, the way you communicate just the idea of the project and how you should handle this is very conversational, which screenwriters, I've noticed when they're writing about the art of screenwriting, tend to elevate it. They try to, <laughs> they try to make it lofty. And you are, you're very much like, don't use cut to... It'll yeah. make you'll be embarrassed. Yeah. Um, was a lot of that. Did you go to you never went to film school or anything? No. Um, a lot of this is just kind of like stuff that you taught yourself, including like kind of emphasis on the subplot stuff, which I was really surprised at how in depth you went into it. So I'll explain where this process came from yeah. if you want to hear about it. All right. Sure. So I, I was contacted by a film school in Ghana. And they said, we want to teach our film students how to write a screenplay. And they had heard about me. So they said, hey, would you would you fly down to Ghana and teach our students? Because Nigeria has a filmmaking community called Nollywood. It's very popular. It actually draws some income. Mm -hmm. And so I think Ghana was just they're like a little jealous. You know, they're like, well, we want that. We want that coming to Ghana. So so would you come down? I said, absolutely. But I have to create a screenwriting program. And I was only going to be down there for like two weeks. So I wasn't going to have a lot of time, you know, so I wanted to create a quick, efficient course for screenwriting for these these students in Ghana. So I, I did. I created it and it all kind of fell through. So I didn't end up going. But I had all this material and I started realizing, well, I think I could make this a book. Um, and so then how do I make this into a book that I would not want to read? Because this is, you know, so I was like, well, there is no all-encompassing reference guide on screenwriting. So I thought, well, let's, so I'm going to write it. So I wrote it, you know, so I wrote the book that I always wanted to read that I could never find so that you don't have to have a dozen books on screenwriting. Because the one thing (laughs) with screenwriting books is everybody kind of specializes in a particular aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Um, And so when I was pitching this book to publishers, I said, hey, this is an all-encompassing book. Well, they said, well, if you just did a subplot book, that's all we want. And, and, and he said, that's all that the market wants. And I'd be like, well, I am the market. <laughs> this is the book that I want. So I'm just going to make this book a bestseller then. So I just did it on my own. 
um, and and it happened, which is cool. Um, so subplots for me is a big deal because you know I run wefixyourscript.com and I, I have to be able to break down scripts and find out why they're not working in order to help a client or mentor a student. Um, and so discovering subplots was key for that. And then really finding out where subplots align with the main plot was essential. And so, you know, through my own studies and my own research, I was able to figure that out and break it down in a way that nobody has really done before. So for me, as somebody who loves the craft, I'm, I'm, I'm very honored to be able to add to it. Now, it seems like it seems like a lot of your projects now are other people's scripts that you are like kind of tweaking and working on and help fixing. Do you have a lot of time now for your, your own just original creations? Um, if I have a story in me that is burning, yes, like I did. I did write a, um, a spec script that right now is is getting looked at in possible production um, and things like so when I when I feel there there is something in there, I got to get out. Yeah, I will. I just like writing and I like working. So I don't have to be that guy that can only write on spec and create my own thing. I'm happy to be part of other projects and, and keep working as a writer because I know the value that I can add to a project. Now, one of the things that Dylan and I, well, more Dylan than myself, because he's the writer of the group. I just talk a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> but when we were working on our first real script uh, to get directed, uh, he the, the notes that he was getting was that he was writing too novelistic. Uh, and it was because uh, he is a novel writer uh, yeah, okay. and, and, and working towards that. Uh, does your brain work in a novelistic storytelling sense or do you now think of it in a screenplay sense? No, I don't. Um, so here's the thing about being dyslexic. It's a superpower if you're a screenwriter. Um, because I think in pictures. I don't think in words. I don't think in dialogue. Um, so when I visualize or I think about something, you know, I, I see it. So translating that into a screenplay is quite easy for me. Um, if you're a novelist, you're probably thinking more as a novelist does. So it's a bit more of a challenge to adapt that into a visual medium that is written, such as screenwriting. Yeah, I think it's something that we are, that he and I are both challenged with. Uh, as a storyteller, I think that I speak novelistically, and he writes that way. So uh, yeah. when we when we worked with our first director and cinematographer, they were a little bit hard on our first you know script. It's like, okay, you got to change a lot. Of succinct this. Yeah. was the word that was thrown around. Yeah, yeah. Concise. Succinct, yeah. So the trick there is to just really work on thinking visually, and then when it comes to writing your action blocks, cutting them down, forcing yourself to cut your action description down to four lines. Yeah. will force you out of that that novelistic expression and then also remembering that everything has to be filmable so if you're saying the way a character is feeling in their head it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what yeah. their thoughts are because we can't see it we can't shoot it yeah and, and that was the hard part for us because our yeah. first script was uh, about a body swap so a lot of it was an in internal struggle. oh no <laughs> yeah <laughs> super tough <laughs> yeah it read well and then our script yeah. you know the, the, our director's like this is a beautiful story but uh we got to work on this a little bit so that was uh that was the biggest uh and we would have really would have loved your book then because <laughs> i wish we'd done it because it would have helped it would have helped out a lot of weird uh, text messages <laughs> i texted zach almost word for word today where i'm like yeah i wish i had read this before we wrote give me back <laughs> yeah yeah um, and, and now it's going to help us out a lot yeah um oh, speaking kind of of genre film like your filmography tend, looks like it has a fair amount of like supernatural like stuff like that do you kind of gravitate towards that or is that just 
what you've kind of fallen into. Yeah, I just go where work takes me. You know, yeah. so if a horror guy needs help and they're shooting it, I, I just take the gig. You know, because I can write anything. I don't, I don't try to brand myself into one genre. I know that's very popular with indie writers and they like to brand themselves. And I think what happens when you brand yourself in a particular genre is you can get a little bit of work quickly. But I think over a long career, it becomes harder to turn transition into other genres. So I've done some paranormal stuff and, and things like that. But I mean, I can write drama. I can write comedy. Um, it's, it's all about um, the approach that I can bring to it. Is there a particular style or genre that you find you have difficulty kind of getting your head around? Or do you like to just kind of tackle things as best you can? You know, I've never attempted a historical. So I think a historical okay. would, would probably be a little bit more difficult for mm -hmm. me, um, especially if it, if I had to write within that period language. Oh, yeah. I think it would require a lot more research. I'd have to be picking a lot more brains from some experts in order to not throw a dude in there. If it was like the 1800s. <laughs> is there, um, is there a Australia. particular era you're, you would be interested in doing? Just out of curiosity, a particular era I would want to write. Oh, I have no idea, dude. Um, <laughs> uh, it's I, a targeted it, question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think you know I trained in uh, the martial arts for a long time, so I would say like you know ancient Japan would be pretty fun to take right. a crack at. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we find that when we talk to screenwriters, and uh, w w when I met you, it was on Jeff Dwoskin's show, and you went into this a little bit, uh, where it's hard to watch a film while you're not studying a film, because as right. a writer, you can start seeing all the cracks. Yeah. Um, do you find that when you do watch a, a, a film, that certain genres tend to gravitate towards you more because you can fall into them easier? I'm a super, I'm a super geek, guys. I mean, so like, so like sci-fi. You know, even bad sci-fi movies, I give it the benefit of the doubt <laughs> yeah. when I really shouldn't. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I just love, I love sci-fi, but I also like sci-fi because it can be more intellectual, not just because you have explosions. Like I love explosions, but like sci-fi can really have, you know, you, you can talk about um, uh, uh, social dilemmas. You can talk about inequality. You can talk about political stuff. You can really dive into that in sci-fi in a safe way because it's just removed enough from our reality that you can explore it. So I do like that about sci-fi uh, 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 sci as well. You know, things yeah. like, like like Gattaca or or The Fountain, you know, like like kind of heady stuff where you can even get into like Brazil. You know what I mean? Like, like movies like that can really talk about things that we should be hearing that should be challenging us. When writing your original content, for me, I get a very weird idea of a movie that I've never seen before. And then that's where uh, my story starts. It's like, this is a stupid idea. How do I make this into something? Um, and I think sometimes, uh, I'm not really sure, but you know, maybe Dylan has the idea where it's like, here's a person or a characterization of, of someone, that's where a story. How do your stories start? Or is it an idea or is it like a character-driven thing or is it just kind of all over the place? Um, mostly I try and um, look at market-wise. I'll look, okay, what's going on market-wise? What can I create that's original? Um, and I'll give you an example. So like zombies were huge, you know, and right when zombies first started to take off, I knew if, if I wrote something zombie wise, if it did sell, I'd have a couple of years still of zombies to be able to make it onto market. 
So I thought about that. You don't want to come into a popular genre at the end of its lifespan. You don't want to come into it at the middle. You want to get into it right before it starts to break. So if it does sell, you have time for it to shoot and then make it on screen and be successful. So I looked at like zombies when zombies first started. And I was like, okay, what hasn't been done with zombies? And I thought, okay, uh, hipster zombies is pretty crazy. That's a wild thing. Let's look at that, you know? So I started developing Hipster Z about these interdimensional zombie that goes into the south and bites a guy and named Bojack. And then Bojack becomes a hipster zombie who craves flesh. He craves meat of man, of people, because people are non-GMO. They're gluten-free. <laughs> You know, there's no allergens, right? There, people are free range, right? So, and then he starts to like grow the goatee, and he wears the hipster stuff, but he's he's dead, and so then that's done. So then the whole town starts becoming hipster zombies, and then the people that's that are trying to fight them off are covering themselves in like jelly donuts, you know, like Slim Jims and all kinds of crazy food soda. Um, so that that so that the hipsters on me is like, Ugh, like they don't want to eat them because they're covered in the grime. Right. So that was kind of the idea I had as like, OK, how do I make this funny? How do I make this scary? Um, and how do I get this out there? And so I did it and it was successful. Like any, anybody who's read it really loved it. Um, it had a little bit of heat for a minute. Um, and, and so that's kind of the direction I come from is what's going on. How can I do it different? How can I do it unique? And then how do I put my little twist on it? Yeah, that sounds like yeah. a really cool story. I love yeah. that. Um, now, speaking of trying to make things sound current or trying to make things sound relevant, um, when trying to write for different, uh, I guess, races or sexes, and you know, trying to keep inclusivity as far as you know in a story, how as a screenwriter, how is what are some tools that you use to make sure that every person sounds different? So I'll do an entire. Okay, this is a really good question. So I wrote. Um, I wrote like an in the woods horror um, that that is has been optioned a few times and it's it's looking good, um, but it was written in a demographic of, you know, 18 or 16 to like 20, 24 demographic. I'm not that old. I, I'm, I'm not that young. I'm 42. I don't know how kids talk nowadays. So in knowing that and being a writer, but I want it to be authentic. So I went to the mall and I found a store this is back when you could go to the mall <laughs> <laughs> and I found, and I found it. So pre COVID, I found a store of where young people would go and shop and, and buy clothes. And I walked in there. I said, Hey, is there a manager around manager walks out? She's like 19, 20 years old. I was like, perfect. I said, hi, I'm a screenwriter. Would you mind if I interview you real <laughs> quick to just kind of learn how you speak and then ask you kind of specific mannerisms and style of colloquialisms that you use. And um, then after a minute, she was like, yeah, because if you tell somebody you're a screenwriter, you get access. Like you're going to go anywhere you want to go. <laughs> you're talking about that. Yeah. 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 So so I interviewed her for oh about half hour or so. And I had my notebook, wrote everything down. And then I went through and I did rewrites and redrafts. But the cool thing, like with a way I do a rewrite is I'll do a rewrite of one character's specific dialogue mm -hmm. all the way through. And I won't touch anything else. And then I'll do another draft of another character's dialogue all the way through, making it totally consistent. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, we should start doing that. Yeah, uh, because you know what? What? What thing welcome. is? Well, we're allowed to go outside and talk to people again, almost. Yeah, true. So, yeah, yeah. I can't go. wait to go back to a mall and start hanging out in kids. Yeah, kids yeah. Look, <laughs> it wasn't like that. Okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just Come kidding. On. 
Uh, yeah, because one thing that's very important to Dylan and I when writing is inclusivity. Uh, but the weird thing is, like, our brains are just naturally designed to see most people as just white men. So we're writing a story, and it's like, okay, he's going to do this, and then he's going to go over to here. And then it's like, wait, no, I, I don't want to tell this story from right. a white man point of view. So right. uh, we, we definitely struggle with that. Uh, how important is that in your storytelling uh, to make sure that there are people of color or you know just inclusivity in general? Or is it more about the story and let other people deal with that? I think inclusivity and representation is important. I think you have to be authentic. That's the key. You know, um, mm -hmm. if I'm gonna write a story about an Asian American, I better really understand everything about that culture and really write it um, and be authentic to that culture. And if I can't do that, I shouldn't be touching the story personally. I mean, that's that's my opinion. Um, now, writing it as like a white guy being a white guy or a cis male being a cis male, writing from that perspective, of course you are because that's what you know, right? Yeah. So, so it comes down to um, how are you writing your characters? Now, if they are um, racial specific, like you have to have uh, a person of, of color or, or a trans or a, a LGB community in your script because it adds to the script and it adds to the story, great. If you're throwing it in just to throw it in, that's not the right decision. Like it needs to add to the story, it needs to add to the character. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, when it comes to production, they'll decide to put somebody in. That's fine. But the other thing is, um, is I don't write down a specific race for a character most of the time. So when I create a character, I create a character and that character is that character. Um, and if you read my script and you say it's full of all white men, then you're the one that's biased because I'm not describing all white men. I'm not describing all white anything you know if i have a character that's gay it is written into the character right it's not stereotypical if i need an asian american it is written into the character for for purpose for deliberate reasons um, and so i think approaching it that way uh might might help you guys yeah i think that's very good information. Wow. Thank you very much. Uh, now, hopping back to your podcast. Um, okay. Now, the concept of our podcast here is to talk ourselves up to a streaming service. Uh, now, going over your podcast, where you you know analyze and, and break things down, is there a is there a pinnacle to what you're trying to do, or is it just grabbing uh, different projects and just breaking them apart? I it's all to help writers you know i view myself as a screenwriter of course but i view myself as a mentor i view myself as as a screenwriting mentor so when i go through and i analyze scripts i'm teaching you how i see a movie um and and, and by and so doing that i'm hoping it kind of um uh is a key to unlock the door to some of the secrets and tricks of filmmaking um, and so that that's that's 100 percent the goal. Um, I don't care who it impresses. I don't care if it's if, if anybody, you know, notices it or, or not. I'm doing it for the one, you know, the one person out there. Uh, I'm doing it out there for Zach who watches the episode and he picks up a trick and then he can put that in his toolbox um, and then uh, and then I've helped him. And I and, and, and so helping somebody. Uh, I've added to this world. I've made I've made it a slightly better place, and and that's that's the most I can ever hope for. If anything else comes from it, 
great, you know? No, I love it. And, no. and I, I'm learning a lot, so I, I like it. It's actually making me hate movies more, so I, I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> That's not the goal. <laughs> it's not making me hate movies more, but I'm very much, I'm much more aware of like, wow, how many takes did that take when I'm yeah. watching an actual movie? It's interesting oh, yeah. to really having, now that we've worked with people making a movie where I can be like, oh God, the setup for this must have taken like four hours. Well, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it depends on the filmmaker. I mean, James, yeah. James Gunn is notorious on um, what is that film with the creepy crawlers? Um, Sliver, Slither, 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 <laughs> and and Slither. Uh, he made him made uh, Michael. What's his name? Walk through a door eighty four times. Yeah, that's just walking through a door. Yeah. So I mean, you know, like he can only imagine. Yeah, it's going to take him. It's going to just take all day to to do just a brief scene. But, well, yeah, yeah. Like Dylan said, when we filmed our movie, uh, I, I didn't realize that this very little scene that maybe m might be 20 seconds of our film uh, took us uh, six hours in the ice cold <laughs> in a garage. I didn't realize that I had to, like, talk over so many angles. And yeah, it, it was it was so incredible. Um, now, as a screenwriter, ha okay. have you? Have you ever seen a project that you wrote that really had nothing to do with the uh, the production of it? I'm trying to understand that question. So did I write something that they took from me and changed completely? Or just made without you knowing how they made it? Uh, no, I haven't run into that problem yet because when I come onto a project, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty at the i'm pretty key to how they develop it mm -hmm. so i haven't had anything come into my hands and then be taken out and then been reworked to it where i completely don't see it i have been brought on to gigs before where they are in trouble and i fixed the script for them and then they took the script and their egos were offended and then they destroyed the script <laughs> um but that's not on me that usually comes down to um indie uh indie filmmaker that is just really in love with their script and and maybe doesn't have a great grasp on filmmaking yet so then i come in and i show them okay this is this is how it should go and and they don't want that so you know vanity projects can be like that as well when somebody is trying to do their own life story uh via the room and then they bring someone like me on to like make it make sense. And then I do that, but then they don't like the direction it goes. So, yeah. Cause when we, uh, like when we had our script and we, you know, had it with the director and we were in a couple of locations, she was like, this is how I see it. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause I didn't see it like that at all, but that, that does make sense now. Uh, so it, it is interesting in that process, uh, watching a visionary change, you know, kind of words yeah. because it, it was our project and we see it, but then somebody, uh, Savannah just read it and then yeah. had her vision at it. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it is cool seeing the correlation of those two no, things. No, I, I agree. That's the beauty of collaboration. I mean, I've seen it with line reads. So I've written, I've written scripts and then the actors have read the lines way different than how I how I wrote it in my head. And sometimes it's really cool. Like, oh, wow, that's a really neat inflection. And other times you're like, no, yeah. no that's not that's not how I wrote it. But it's not up to you. It's up to the actor and it's up to the, to the director, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
So you kind of have to go into it from different points of view at all times, like seeing it as a director, seeing it as a scriptwriter, seeing it as the person in the story. So uh, well, see, see it as a producer too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, can, really, can really can look at it. Yeah, really look at it as a producer. Yeah, since uh, in, in this project on Talking Upstream, we pitch a lot of weird ideas to people that make movies. And uh, a lot of times uh, recently, for some reason, people are like, well, your idea is cool, but it's not it's not even approachable from filming. So let's not even go into that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, right. weird. Well, it's just an idea. And it's cool seeing like different people's perspective and how yeah. they even go into an idea. You know, I, if you guys have a second, I, I just want to mention like, um, you can have a great, you can have a, what you feel is a great script. Um, and then a producer can get it. And it only takes like one or two things to be off about the script and they pass on it. I think a lot of, indie screenwriters think like this is a really great script and then the producer will read it and then maybe they'll give me some notes and i'm happy to make the changes and then maybe we can move forward but the point but the from the producer's perspective they see a great script or they see a, a good script they're not going to bother trying to give you notes to change it they're just going to pass hmm. huh. it's got to yeah. be like a pretty amazing script for them to want to give you notes to be willing to make changes for the script because for them, it's an investment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Savannah, uh, our director gave us pretty uh, impress notes. impressive notes, oh, which yeah. is cool, especially for an 11, <laughs> which I guess is yeah. not that great of a thing, but it's 11 minutes short that we wrote. And uh, yeah, everyone, even she got a cinematographer and she got an editor involved. Right. And uh, you know. they, they liked the script. So, but they, exactly. definitely had, they definitely have to know. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you very mm, much. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, very similar to advice I got when I was sending my novel around where it's like, you're just as likely to get a, like, nobody's going to give you notes on this. I mean, a, a novel is more of an investment, but it's like, even the mood of the agent could have been just like someone got their coffee to them lukewarm that morning. And they're just like, I'm not doing the first one across the desk. Something like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible. I mean, I, yeah. I, sent, I sent, I was known for querying like, you know, over a thousand uh, agents and producers in LA at one point when I had first started. So I can, I can understand rejection. No wonder your book is so harsh on querying. Yeah. I don't believe in it. I, yeah. I, think, I think querying is the, the equivalent of uh, pulling an arm on a slot machine. Hmm. It's, 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 that's all it is. You know, it's, it's 20 years ago. Sure. You could query and maybe get somebody on the line, but nowadays with, so many screenwriters out there and, and, and querying, nobody's doing it. Um, it's better to create your network and start impressing people with your skill set and then grabbing work that way. Now, as a writer, do you have a story that you've been working on for a long time that you just have like a hard time letting go or just saying that this is a finished uh, idea? Well, I just finished it. I had I had written a script that went from like L.A. to London and won a bunch of awards. Um, and that was kind of like my calling card script. And I had been working on it and tweaking it. And I would keep wondering, like, why do people like this? You know, uh, and then I would go through and I would tweak it. And I finally got it to the point now where I feel like it's yeah, this this is ready to get made. It's been optioned a few times. And I think that was probably the one. But, yeah, I, I finally got that. Uh, broke the broke it to where I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I what it needs to be. Yeah, that that's interesting because like you know, I, people always say like your first story takes you a long time to get going for you to say, okay, I'm done with this one. But then after that, it kind of just 
goes a little bit faster and a little bit faster. Do you find that to be true or is well, it really just story dependent? No, I think learning how to write is a muscle you have to exercise. I mean, when I first started writing, it took me all day to write one page. Like literally, I would sit down and be like, okay, today I write whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write page, whatever, you know, and then write that. And then <laughs> at the end of the day, I'd be like, I wrote the page, you know, and it's, 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 it's silly if I think about it now, but, but nowadays I can bang out 20 plus pages easily. Um, so it's just, it, it comes down to, to just getting better and practicing at it. Now, do you have like a page limit that you try to hit to every day? Do you have like certain daily goals or weekly goals as a writer? Um, it's no, I mean, I'll just sit down and write, you know, I mean, today I'll write for eight hours tomorrow. I'll write for 12. Like I set a time limit Okay. And, and then I'll write and I'll just write towards that time limit. And so that'll be it. So, you know, I'll write from, you know, today it's eight to six tomorrow, nine to five or 12 to 12. I mean, whatever um, and I'll set it and then I'll keep going. And then my body will tell me when I'm done. Cause my brain goes numb. <laughs> I've been there before. Yeah. yeah. I feel you. <laughs> Uh, Dylan, do you have any more questions? Um, do you have a preferred just platform to write on? Do you use like yeah. final draft? Are you a final draft person? Are you? No, no, no. All right. <laughs> I use uh writer duet. I think it's fantastic. Oh, cool. I love, I love writer duet. Um, it's so good to use if you have a co-writer or a collaborator or like mm -hmm. as, as a, as somebody who has like students, I use writer duet because I'll log into a student's script and then I can show them how to fix it. And yeah. that, to me, that's just speaks volumes. Plus they update it yearly and the, and the cost doesn't change. So you don't have to spend, you know, out the wazoo uh, for a new software every year. Yeah. Have you ever gone into a project working with a partner? I know that you take oh, over yeah. some. Oh, you have. Okay. Do you, oh, yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any words of advice for uh, teams that work together going into a project? Yeah, I got a bunch of them in the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He talks about co-writing in there. Yeah. So, right. so collaborating is key. Um, one thing I think you need to to do as a collaborator is come is is have a contract. Uh, there's a basic collaborator contract you can sign on, on from the WGA. I actually could download it. Um, and by having a contract, I know it sounds like ridiculous, but what it is is it sets the tone for the working relationship that you have. Um, and it defines how much each person is going to make. So like I have a very good friend um, and I, uh, we have both worked on projects together, projects I've started, projects she started. Um, and then on her project, she's like, you know, I just got to take, I got to do 60%. Okay, that's fine. That means you have final saying, whatever. This is good. I'm glad I know that so that I'm not going to push overly hard for any kind of changes. I just know I'm going to come on and I'm going to do, you know, add my voice and value to your project, but I'm not going to be like, no, you know, and then have like the, the argument there. It's like, oh, okay, this is your baby. Um, so I think, I think my, my one big advice would be, was be do the contract. Outside of that, I have uh, several other tips on the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we definitely suggest reading the book. Actually, do you want to uh, pitch where people can find your book real fast? Oh, the guide for every screenwriter is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I think Target sells it online. So, I mean, it's everywhere. Um, we have, uh, if you go to the, to the successfulscreener.com, <laughs> you can download a, 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 an abridged version um, as a free PDF um, right off there just by signing up for a newsletter as well. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
Mr. Dillon, do you have any more questions for Mr. Calhoun before we get into what we do here? No, I think we're good. Let's move on. Okay, so please, everyone, go pick up the the guide to every screenwriter. Uh, also, check out the Successful Screenwriter Podcast. It is an amazingly done podcast, very in-depth. Uh, we do a, a movie review show called The Real Boys. It's like that, but with intelligent people that know what they're talking about and don't just hate uh, you know, too much stuff. So uh, please go check out Mr. Uh, Jeffrey Calhoun and all of his crazy stuff. Uh, Mr. Calhoun, okay, so now what we do, uh, Dylan and I, we uh, exchange a lot of weird text messages throughout the week of very stupid ideas that I think should be made to movies and he ignores them rightfully so because uh, most of my ideas are dumb uh, and we used to just fight over what we should work on but now we get our guests uh, on the show to do that so if it's okay with you we're going to pitch a couple ideas to you and you're going to tell us which one you think we should just work on today because we have a little extra time so okay. my idea today that I would like to work on I had this weird uh, idea of uh, uh, like a, another species on this planet that for some reason was overlooked or whatever, but now once we start looking at them, they have evolved to be the apex predator. They they can actually like uh, uh, fight humans uh, and we're going to have to take on something else that is now at the apex level of predatory ship uh, with, I think, uh, and Dylan told me that I should turn this into a uh, thing at the end, the twist at the end, but at the end, it's going to turn out that aliens have uh, uh, forced evolution to this species uh, to fight humans. So uh, we're calling this project alien uplift. Uh, and it is about a species that gets to the height of humans and can, fight slash kill them and now we have something to worry about okay and i don't have any idea what dylan's gonna yeah pitch. um this one i don't know where this idea came from i think it's just that these ancestry websites are getting so popular now and i'm getting a lot of advertisements for them but i had this idea that there are two kids in high school they're seniors and they're about to go out into the world and they both decide you know Let's do an ancestry test. 23andMe equivalent, whatever name you give it. And one of them gets back a pretty standard result. And the other one gets back a result that indicates that they are either, it's like either N slash A or it's the, gen it's like genetic material that is equivalent to like someone who currently already exists. Like they're either like a clone or something like that. They get back something that requires them kind of like go on this, to find out exactly what is the secret behind their ancestry. And for some reason, the test that they take is what kind of instigates that story. Um, I'm seeing it as like, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Anomalous uh, ancestor anomaly or something like that. But I'm just, I'm seeing it as like, you find out mysteriously on like the day of your graduation that you're actually a clone of someone. Okay. Oh, cool. Is it, is it like, is it a, a human uh, anomaly or is it like, they have part animal or part alien is it is it just <laughs> part reptilian or something like that is it yeah just we, we don't know just some kind of abnormality and then you find out that their family are aliens or something like that ah, that's possible yeah, who um knows? yeah something like that something something sci-fi or equivalent okay. okay all right can i press you guys on these yeah, yeah please okay because i think what happens is you guys go for the concept stage but yeah. I actually like to find thematically what you want to say with it. Sure. Ooh. Okay. So thematically with alien uplift, 
I gotta razz you on the name because it sounds like an like a like a um, dramedy. <laughs> that was Dylan's name, by the way. But, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Alien, alien, I love it. All right, so um, <laughs> dramedy. So it's like, so, come on, get back in there, Tiger. Yeah, you got this. Come on, <laughs> hang in there, baby. All right, don't alien rom com. Don't yeah. let that human get away. <laughs> Go eat him. All right. So um that's funny. Uh what it what what are you trying to say with Alien Laplift? What is your theme? Uh so my problem with the world is that humans are uh we're, we're too, you know, uh spacious, we're too uh ignorant to the the just every other species. So I would like the idea of humans having to be scared when leaving their house. Uh, okay. I don't know how else th this can happen. So I thought earlier that if an alien would just kind of saw humans like, oh, these guys suck. Uh, and then they forced evolution on, say, the platypus and then made uh, some other species just be like, look, uh, we can kill humans. And then there's a battle. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it's about um, excessive consumerism and how people have had to. And it's about forcing people to to stop expanding on destroying the planet that type of a thing uh, yeah i guess so yeah okay all right what do you what do you got dylan what's your theme um well when you have when you graduate from high school you're entering the wider world and a lot of things tend to come to light about yourself when you have to like go to college and you're living kind kind of on your own you have less of a safety net and then it's already uncomfortable and then you combine that with like dark family secret Okay. And you have Ooh. to mesh these two crises of identity together yeah. at a All time right. where you are already kind of vulnerable. So I like that. And I'm going to tell you why, because I find concept is fun, but theme is important. And so theme is how do we create a story that is going to, that is going to a heat appeal to um, people in a broad, broad umbrella um, through a, um, uh, people that have experienced, you know, the human condition, the human experience. So when I think about self-identity, who am I? Everybody's gone through that. Everybody's wanted to, to kind of figure out who they are, you know, who are they according to who their parents believe they are? Who are they according to what society believes they are? And then eventually deciding who they want to be, right? I like that. So I think we would go with that one. Alien uplift, I think is fun. I think um, thematically it kind of works if we're in a Western society, but if we're not in a Western society, I think then it might struggle a little bit trying to capture people that haven't had to live in excess. Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, so yeah. I was very good. An ancestor anomaly. I love it. I love it. All right, perfect. Uh, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Calhoun. Uh, okay, so for the next little bit of time, we're going to go over uh, whatever we're going to call this thing, which is uh, ancestor abnormality or oh, anomaly. Okay. Something uh, like that. Uh, yeah, something like that. Who knows? Ancestor uh, uplift. <laughs> no, we're not doing rom-coms today, uh, <laughs> especially not for old people. Um you have okay, to so, you have to get the ghost of your great 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 grandfather back with the ghost of your great 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 grandmother. 
No, I don't, that's, I don't that's like that. That's a huge... <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that at all. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay, so before we get into this, uh, a couple people we want to thank. Uh, number one, Pod TV. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to uh, chat with some people that really teach us some stuff and uh, you know people that we look up to and, and can learn a lot from. Where Mr. Calhoun is sitting is where Dylan and I want to sit. So thank you very much for giving us a platform where we can do that. Uh, thank you to Scott Curtis and Behind the Bits, which is a great podcast. Uh, if you are into interviews of comedians, Behind the Bits is great. It's not just comedy. It's what happens behind the comedy, why comedy is funny, and the sadness that goes into that. Uh, Jeff Dwoskin and all of his shows from Crossing the Streams to Live Detroit, thank you very much. You're a great dude, and go check out all of his stuff. Some East Coast friends. We have Sarah Tukacic and Tanya Shek. And also, uh, uh, you have uh, – what, what, what is the other one? <laughs> listen, you say yeah, listen rap? Yeah, yeah. listen rap, the one that's on uh, Instagram. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. So, uh, listener app. If you go to Instagram at the greatest podcast app, I got so crazy that I kicked over two different tripods, which is uh, uh, terrifying. So, I'm very sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, Instagram at the greatest podcast app. Those guys have a really cool thing where you can actually look at the words instead of hearing the words because I mumble and slur and uh, Dylan talks under his breath. And it's cool when yeah. I go back to listen to our episodes and actually reading those little uh, snide comments that he throws in there, which is always great. And I save them and I text them. And he doesn't respond like everything else. But anyway, I put okay. them all on a Google Doc. Yes. <laughs> so thank you guys very much. And like I said earlier, please go check out uh, Mr. Calhoun and all of his great stuff. You have uh, the guide to every screenwriter, uh, a great book that we are now going to throw into uh, our rotation to make us have uh, way better stories and subplots. But all right, so let's get into this thing real fast, Dylan. So yeah. ancestry anomaly. Yeah. So I was seeing normality. Whichever you like. Whatever. <laughs> I was seeing it as taking place in the final like few weeks of like high school for these kids. Um, they might be going to different schools. They've been friends for a long time, grew apart, grew back together. They take an ancestry test. One of them gets a result that is clearly not a mistake or just it's something that has to kick off them going after this information. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I didn't have so much beyond that. So. No, I like that. Mr. Calhoun, when, when you start having a story and you really want to break this down, uh, do you tend, and I, obviously I know that I can read your book and get all this information. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to ask I'll you quickly. I'll just save since you from your... reading the book. How's no, I'm, I'm definitely going to read the rest of it. Uh, Dylan is still reading it. Uh, but when starting a concept like this, do you tend to always work in a three arc structure or do you try to find like uh, what the story is and let the structure itself work? I outline. Ally. So I, but before that, I I do a um, what's called what I call the script pyramid. So I create with the bottom level is concept, then I create theme, then I layer in a central character because your central character is your living embodiment of your theme, and then from central characters I create supporting characters because your supporting characters show. Um, express the uh, antithesis or thesis of your theme. So I develop those and then I look at building into an outline. All right. Excellent. Um, okay. So what we would work on here is the bottom, which is the concept, which we already kind of roughly have. Yeah, and, okay. and now we have the theme, which is obviously very rough, but we still have that. Uh, and a central character. Now, one thing that we come, that we, we talk to a lot of our guests about is the idea of the window character, which is, uh, putting somebody into this new world or making, uh, 
usually when you're telling a story, there are rules that are set to, to this world or this, this story. And the concept of the window character is someone who is new to this specific right. world. So now, now, how do you feel about that character? The idea of that character. I don't have a problem with that. POV character is fine. So, I mean, the boys do it. Um, the boys do it quite well um, with uh, with uh, Jack Quaid. Mm -hmm. character comes in and he doesn't understand the world. And then he's brought into the world by Butcher. I think it's fine to do that as long as you're using that character um, um, and making him important to the, the main conflict, which in the boys, they did that, right? So by having the inciting incident... Um, is this a show or a feature that we're talking uh, about? We haven't figured that okay. out yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, slightly it, important. I was imagining well, it, a feature. Yeah, that okay, kind of comes. Feature. That kind of comes like right around now, which is when we're trying to figure okay. out what the story we're trying to yeah. tell. But it seems like an isolated story, not something that we can continue. I don't think. Uh, so not it seems like expand pretty dramatically yeah. on like what's so, happening. Yeah, it's, true. It's going to be. It's going to be. It, it's, it, the point is moot then, because the central character is going to be your POV character, because they're going to be brought into the world anyway through the inciting yeah. incident. So it's totally fine. Cool. All right. So then our central character is the one who's going to learn about their uh, twenty-three and Me or whatever yeah. it is that they're uh, doing. Um, now, Dylan, you said that this is a high school senior, correct? Yeah. So about and eighteen or so. All right, cool. And they take this uh, this test about their ancestry because um, just as as a project, or is there a reason for that, or that just happens? I don't know if it's too played out to have them be adopted. And he's like, "I'm going to figure out what's going on." And then his friend is like, "I'm going to do that too." You know, as a show of support, I'm going to find out where my family comes from. And then he has to confront maybe the adopting the adoptive parents or something, or if that is part of the strangeness where that he believes that these people are his actual parents. Um, I figured, you know, kids, kids are curious. You're leaving high school and it's like, yeah, going forward. I want to kind of know where I'm coming from. Yeah. And what did you think was uh, the most interesting as far as what they can find in this test, that it is a clone somehow, or that it is something that is just unknown. I think the way to make it not seem contrived because I don't think these tests are designed to pick up non-human DNA. I think it's for them to get a result that is like, this result's already in the database and it's some, maybe it's like a, like a famous part, like a, like a famous person of some sort. Like it's their clone of someone who is like high profile. Um, go for Just, it. <laughs> yeah. I, I have ideas. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't know the no, yeah, here if I'm allowed in. to pop in or no, if absolutely. I sit here and look pretty. Okay, um, I would recommend using the the clone the the uh, DNA test as an opportunity to create empathy for the character, right? Mm -hmm. So so working in layers there. Don't don't just use it as a as a as an excuse to kick off the story, but let's use every bit of the story to develop character, develop conflict, develop story. So if we have a kid who is living at home, who maybe he doesn't have a dad, maybe doesn't have a mom, whichever parental parent we want to go with, who is very sick and he has to take care of them, um, that is a character that we will immediately understand and empathize with because this is a kid who's trying to be a kid, but at the same time having the responsibilities of an adult. Now, if you want to layer in that he's a high school senior trying to get great grades on top of taking mm -hmm. care of a parent, 
even better. Now, if the mother is sick for unknown reasons and no one can diagnose it, but he's a really smart kid, so that he thinks maybe if I do a 23andMe, genetically I can find something that she's susceptible to, right? And so then he does that, and then we have the big reveal. That creates some layers of depth there emotionally um, that we can get the audience behind the character. Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. Oh, that's all good. Okay, so I guess what we I guess what we need to figure out now is if if they're doing this test to uh, figure out something about the mom or the parents' illness, and they find out that they're something else, um, we need to somehow get to an end, which is uh, <laughs> either more knowledge of this person, uh, more knowledge of the cloning process, or I guess the <laughs> the curing of the the parent. So, uh, uh, Mr. Calhoun, when when creating a story, when you have the concept and you have uh, a, a rough idea of kind of what you're going to start poking around in, how early on do you try to work out the ending to know what to get to? Yeah, pretty early. I'll do like a macro arc um, off the theme, right? So I'll look at what the theme is. What am I trying to prove? What am I trying to disprove? How do I create an arc with that through the character? And how do I have that character change, right? Because characters have to change throughout the arc. And a lot of the misunderstandings with characters is people think, oh, a character has to grow. They have to become better. Or they, you know, or if your character doesn't change um, and they become worse, but they just have to be, they just have to change. Um, and so we, we're going to put them on an arc of that. And even if the change in the character is that they're a terrible person, but they don't realize it. And at the end of the story, they come to understand they're, that they're a terrible person, but they don't change. That is still growth of a character. Mm -hmm. So I would say, how do we have this character? What do we want to say? And what do we want to explore through this character? Do we want to explore that um, his sense of self is beyond anything that anybody realizes. I mean, do we want to explore that we are all part alien? I mean, do we want to explore that he's evolving in a way that future people can? I mean, do we want to explore that um, being uh, born into a particular family does not mean that's who you are? You know, I mean, uh, are we going to discover that he has, uh, he's a descendant genetically of a serial killer and he's a killer himself? I mean, where do we want to go with it? That idea crossed my mind as we were having this conversation is that he's somehow his genetic material was taken from someone who is considered in the wide public eye a bad person and has to deal with that. Because um, more and more it feels like we're moving away from the out and out like I'm part alien sci-fi stuff and more like my the circumstances of me coming to be are not necessarily shaping who I will be. Well, it's um, up to you. I mean, it, yeah, you can stick with the alien thing if you want. I don't. I, I. This is this is your concept. If you want to stick with the alien thing, then I would just tweak it to, uh, you know, what is being human? Then mm -hmm. at that point, right? Is yeah. being human a biological thing? Is being human a spiritual thing? Or is being human an, a, a type of? Uh, is humanity beyond all of those things? And it's an ideal, right? So yeah. you start. You can explore it that way. Zach, what are you feeling? Well, I, 
I like the idea of putting a theme into something. I don't think it's ever uh, crossed my mind when, when coming up with a story. So now I'm like really searching for a heart of this. I like the idea of it being like a serial killer, although I don't know why uh, that that would come into play. Um, I I do like the idea of an alien, although I don't really like uh, going down the story of like what it means to be a human. So I, I like it being a clone. I don't know if they have to be like a bad person, but I like there being like maybe a, a, a bunch of them or something. Um, and then maybe exploring the idea of what it means to be an individual. Uh, I think that that's right. something that when you leave high school, it, you're always worried about. It's like, am, am I am I popular? Am I a poser? Like, what am right. I? That's uh, good. So yeah. I, I, I like the idea of maybe searching individuality. Um, so I think that that's cool. And I don't really know how to go into that just yet, but uh, I like that. And, and now that I'm I thinking did. of theme, I think it's going to change a lot of my uh, storytelling techniques. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really learning a lot. So I'm, I'm really happy with today's wow. episode. No, I like Good. the I, I like the idea you have there um, of individuality. It's really yeah. really smart, especially when it comes to to high school life. I think that's great. Yeah, um, but now trying to wrap a, like a finale or trying to figure out what we can go to with that um, is, I guess, the next challenge. Yeah, Dylan, what do you see here? So I'm seeing this the finale as like he finally they finally get to wherever this i'm seeing him as like the product of some sort of experiment and okay. the experiment was just cut short they real someone came in and was like you're doing what <laughs> no uh-uh no you got to put all these kids like you got to get these are children um so i'm seeing the reveal is like kind of just not an anti-climax but kind of like a realization that it really had no bearing on you whatsoever beyond where you came from. And everything you've done has been you and kind of reaffirming, I mean, maybe throughout the story, he's having this crisis of consciousness where they keep getting more breadcrumbs about what's been going on and maybe running into other versions of himself and being like, shouldn't I be turning out like, like that? And then they get to the end and it's like, you turned out exactly as you were supposed to like, yeah. Go take care of your mom. Like, so, so that's good. Let's build in some stakes yeah. now. So we have the stakes of uh, his mother's life, right? So we have that. That's good. That's a ticking time clock. So mm -hmm. ticking time clocks are great because we can accelerate it whenever we need to, especially when the story is starts to slow down. Mom can collapse, ends up in the hospital. Story starts to pick up. Stakes go higher. So that works. The other thing we should look at is adding more conflict. So... Um, and by upping the stakes that way, are the clones being killed off? Are the clones being captured? Are the clones being kidnapped? We start asking ourselves these questions. Does he wake up in another clone's bed hmm. in a different part of the country, in the different part of the world? So you start really trying to take a different approach because we don't want to be orphan black, right? right. We want to be that. So we want it. We want to be something original. So, so really looking at, okay, what is different? What can we start creating unique here? Wait, what is orphan black? Orphan black is a show uh, that came out by, I believe six, seven years ago about a, a woman that discovers she is a clone and starts um, finding all the other clones and then discovers that, that they're part of a research program. And it's the same actress plays all the characters. That's she won cool. a Golden Globe or an Emmy or something. She won something for it. Yeah, very yeah. good, very good <laughs> yeah. show. 
Um, so we want to make sure that we're not running into that. So then you just do a unique approach to it. Yeah. Well, I'm into that. I, I like clones that are being used for um, uh, like medical purposes, uh, like ones that are being used to like harvest organs from for some reason. Because I think that there is like a big thing about that. Like if mm -hmm. we could use clones to make more organs, I think that'd be one thing that people would be okay with cloning for some reason, uh, which scares the crap out of me. But um and I think it also maybe touches into it doesn't really matter where you come from. It's uh, the life that you live, I guess, which is the theme that you could be explored there. Yeah. Um, so go I, I'm. Oh, go, go ahead. Nope. Well, I was going to say it looks like our first mini arc is getting to the DNA test, right? It's right. It's it's yeah. finding out who this kid is, finding out about their parents, finding out about the high school, finding out, I guess, how boring their life is at first, because uh, that's right. usually one of those arcs where it's like, oh, I'm just like everybody else, you know, and then it turns out that you are because I think that might be kind of a cool reveal where uh, they just feel that they're just like a number in <laughs> high school. And then it turns out that they're a clone. You're and... literally a number somewhere. <laughs> right. And then yeah. it turns out it's I not think, important. I think that's a really good idea. So when we start looking that way, we also start looking at visual subtext. So then I would start building out the intro scene where the kids are walking through school and they all kind of walking the same way. They're all generalized, dressed in the same way. Or if you want to have him numbered like a clone, then you could have him running track with a number on mm -hmm. yep. in a group of a bunch of other kids that are have the same number on. So we start now we start visually thinking, how do we start showing this story subtextually? Um, and that works as well. I like the body harvesting thing. It's been done a few times. Yeah. So I would say, how do we do, how do we put a twist on that? Maybe it's not body. Maybe it's not organ harvesting. Maybe they're doing something crazier. Maybe they're transferring minds. Maybe they're transferring souls. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe he's a younger clone of an older man who's going to take his body over. I mean, there's, there's different aspects you can look into there. Um, it, it was a failed immortality test. Yeah. Are they? Yeah. Something like that. And it's just like, what are we going to do with all these clones? It's like, well, they're people find them families and just don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. It's like everybody wants to adopt. So just sell them. Yeah. That could be something else. I mean, there's, there's so many different um, uh, uh, ways to look at it. So is, okay. is there an agency hunting these kids down once their DNA enters the system? Like it's like, we got another hit in rural Iowa. And then that's kind yeah. of like the, you know, the, the outer world intrudes on his home life. Yeah, I think building the stakes is essential. So up, upping the conflict is good. Um, and then talking about Act 1, Act 1 is always life as we know it. So mm -hmm. Act 1 is is teaching the teaching the, the viewer, the audience, what this character's life is, who they are, what their struggles are. And then the inciting incident, which usually comes in around 10 minutes, is like, hey... Um, here's this cool thing that you should probably go do. And then the characters inevitably say, no, I don't want to do that. And the reason why they deny that call, they refuse the call of action is because nobody wants change. Nobody likes change. So we, we put that in there to make the character even more human. Um, so that eventually they, by the end of act three or by the end of act one, they're, they're like, yes, let's go do this crazy thing. 
All right. So I do like the sick parent thing. So we can put that in there. And then I'm assuming that if they have one parent, they don't know who the other parent is. And if the current parent, the only remaining parent dies, uh, then they will have to go to uh, a different school to graduate. Uh, and then that would be that, uh, you know, that, that thing is like, I don't, I don't really want to do this, whatever. And, um, I guess at some point we got to figure out how to make this kid get the DNA test, uh, which, you know, I guess once again is, is the, to look for a cure for the sick mom. Yeah. Right. To, to find out any genetic markers that may be predisposed towards. So he right, sent cool. it out way before the film even started i would come into it where he had already paid for it weeks ago and then gets the letter in the mail oh okay cool we come um, into no. it that way so that way we're not wasting time we're not wasting space this is part of the coming in late leaving early part mm -hmm. of storytelling so he had already done it before the movie even started comes home mom's coughing up blood or she's passed out on the floor and, or whatever you know or can't breathe or she's jaundiced whatever disease you want to give her um and then he gets the letter the envelope opens it and then it says you know not applicable and then he calls them up and like what do you mean you know i mean this is ridiculous what you have like a, did you swap it with a dog you know like what happened <laughs> um and 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 they're fervent or he could be one of the kids that sent it to like three different types like maybe he's an overachiever so he sent it to like three different ones. And so they all keep saying not applicable, right? So now we, we show the kid has really done his due diligence, doesn't know no. what the hell is going on. And then maybe somebody comes for him. Yeah, I like the not applicable yeah. thing. So I'm assuming that he gets a DNA test to see if he can give uh, a blood transfusion or whatever to, or just any yeah, kind of bone marrow. Yeah, yeah, no. just anything. Okay. And then instead of it coming back with any information, they all just say not applicable. Uh, yeah. I think that's really cool. And even yeah. some of his friends uh, got their DNA test back, and all of theirs are just normal DNA tests. Right. Um, and then I guess now someone is uh, either contacting him because of his queries right yeah. uh and so that i guess that's going to be the end of our act one right which is uh somebody contacting him about the dna testing uh because they need to talk to him about something is, i would is it roll it i would roll it um progressively through act one so he gets a phone call and i would do it in weird ways like mm -hmm. he opens up the letter and as soon as he opens up the letter the phone rings right and it's like this odd timing that's unnatural and it kind of gets the audience thinking what the hell's going on right or they know who he is before he knows who he is mm -hmm. you know make it make it weird make it kind of stand out so it's unnatural and then it's the visitation right the surprise visitation. Yeah. And then by the end of act one, he's got to leave because somebody tried breaking into the house or something weird happened so that we are like actively going out onto the adventure. Yeah. Now would the, would the remaining parent have to perish in act one for most of this to happen? Because if, if there's any kind of information they're going to get from this DNA test, which is obviously not going to come out proper, um, and the kids leaving or whatever, would, would it be an inciting moment for the, the last parent to die? I don't believe in, um, that's called fridging. 
I don't like fridging. So fridging is when um, you have a hero go on a journey because a woman in his life died or was killed. Yeah. And it comes from the old comic books where uh, a superhero comes home and he finds his wife dead in a fridge. Right. And now yeah. he must go on adventure. So I don't want a fridger. I would actually keep her alive and really prolong mm -hmm. it so that the stakes stay there. The ticking time bomb is still going. The stakes are up. And then you can bring in the villains to really um, take advantage of her uh, delicate stake, state, stake. What? <laughs> and, 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 and then from there, you can look at working in things like maybe his father's not actually dead. Maybe his yeah. father works for the, you know, so you can really work in uh, more mystery and have fun with it. You've got the conflict as well of like, well, I got to run, but my mom's in the hospital and is probably going to die. But if yeah, I go there, yeah. they know where to find me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That makes pressure. a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, now, now, if, if the first act is life as we know it, uh, what would you call the second act? Yeah, act two is conflict and stakes. So it's it's consistently every um, plot point, you are upping the stakes, things are getting more and more uh, severe. And so what it is, is like if you break act two into two different acts um, itself, so like 2A and 2B, if you want to do it that way, like 2A is the hero trying to solve the problem with the skill set that he has mm -hmm. and failing. So then there's what we call at the midpoint of act two is what we call the, the midpoint death. Um, the midpoint death, it is a, a point in the character's journey where he is at his absolute worst and he has utterly failed. And then he has to pick himself up and learn from his mistakes or learn a new skill or something that will allow him or a new piece of information that will allow him to now tackle the problems from a new direction. I like that. Yeah. Um, so what if the agency that's coming to get him is full of a bunch of hymns? Well, that's really interesting. I love I love that twist. So that could be kind of cool. And then if say that he's trying to in the 2A part, if he's trying to solve this <clears throat> and he finally catches one of these people yeah. and mm -hmm. it's like, oh, it's it's another one of me. Uh, I also I had it. I also had a weird idea that the person in charge of all of this which is uh, the dad, I guess his dad, uh, which is also him, uh, yeah. which would be kind of yeah. weird and gross. Um, no, I think this is prime. really good. I love the direction where you're going because what if we loop back to Dylan's idea of it being aliens and that he is embedded in an alien family in order to learn about human existence? Oh, like he makes a and bunch that, of clones, puts them with different human families to see how humans grow. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, they're doing recon on the human existence, right? And so then that loops back into your theme of what is it to be human, right? Now, are the intentions of the clone dad, the recon to learn human weaknesses to manipulate mankind? Now it's nefarious. Yeah, right? that's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I like that a lot. Um, okay, so now what do you call <laughs> <laughs> this is actually turning into a better story than I gave Dylan credit for? Uh, so what would well you done. call what would you call the act three? If if act two is conflict and stakes, right. what is act three? It's all about resolution, right? And it's not just resolution of the main plot, it's resolution of the character's development, it's resolution of your subplots, it's total resolution, and a resolution, um, as David Mamet says is um is it is expected yet surprising 
So it it what that means is it's going to end in a in a way that we understand it should have ended, but still surprising. I don't like endings where um, they go for the artistic ending because they think it's artistic, but secretly they just don't want to commit to the ending. Yeah, um, because that ruins a film. You can ruin a decent film with a really bad ending, and yep. I have seen it happen. So it's definitely um, working in that characters are thematically for that satisfying conclusion. Okay. So in, in act two, if we're going to go with conflict and stakes and we're going to have to work in some subplots here just to make this interesting, uh, which, yeah, I'm not sure if we can do that right now. Uh, no. but we have, uh, so uh, in, in the 2B area, what are some things that you like to see in, in that part of the film, which is yeah. at, the, at the end? What, what are some things you like to see the hero go through? I like to see the hero really get knocked down. and But usually in 2B, we also start to see the heart plot really start to play into helping the hero heal to prepare for the final battle. Mm -hmm. So it would be essential then where we're building in the heart plot, whether the heart plot is him and his mom, whether the heart plot is him and his best friend, or if you want to you know, be the traditional, he's got a love interest, which is not necessary. But if no, you want to work that in there, it's the it's the heart plot that way. Um, I I just wouldn't use like a female clone version of himself because that get weird. Yeah, yeah. No, I was <laughs> I actually was thinking, what if he has like a letter from his mom that she's like, open this when you graduate, and it he thinks it's just going to be a love like you know, yeah, money. I love you, yeah. money, and then it turns out it's like her confessing everything. Like, yeah, I'm not you know I didn't I wanted to tell you in person you're adopted, but you're not just adopted. I got you from, and it just kind of goes through that. And, and then it goes, but, and then it's in like new text or it's like in like fresher ink or something. It's like, I've watched you grow and yeah. you know, you are more than. I would go beyond a letter and have the intimacy of the conversation. Okay. But the other thing I would add caution to, and, and this is what I see with some films is on is unearned knowledge, which can come across as making your character weak. So when your character goes through all of this conflict, survives, gets better, grows, goes through even bigger conflict and grows, he or they need to earn the knowledge and skill that they mm -hmm. have. You never want it to just be handed to them because if it's just handed to them, they have not earned it. And then it kind of injustifies their struggle, right? No. Because think back of yourself, your, your, own path, your own journey, because we're all on our own journey, right? You've earned what you've gone through. Well, I, I hope <laughs> you could be a trust fund kid, but like you, you, you've earned the struggle you've gone through. And so, and so by uh, making our character earn it, then that keeps the audience and the reader behind them. So if you're going to have a moment like that, it's, it's fine, but he has to make sure that yeah. he has earned that he has saved his mom. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, <laughs> She's on the recovery, and then she says, "Oh, by BT Dubs, uh, you know your dad's an alien." Lols, and then you know go from there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Dylan, how do you think it's a way we can save the mom? I mean, it depends. If we're going sci-fi on this, you'd somehow get like somehow pull one over on the people who are causing this, and and make a deal where it's like. Hey, if you've got all this genetic stuff, my mom's got a congenial disease. Fix her up and I won't 
like go public with this or something. Like, you know, he, I, I feel like they need to like kind of use the knowledge they've gained over the course of the story to leverage their triumph in on behalf of their mom. Now, Mr. Calhoun, is there anything in the mom being a earlier uh, version of the clone? <clears throat> uh, it's interesting. I don't know I'm how not, to wrap not, any of this I'm up. Not, I'm, not a, I'm not against it. I mean, yeah. I would put him in a moral dilemma. So, like, does he have to use his own bone marrow to save his mom, but it might kill him? And then if that's the way it is... Um, does he decide to take one of his brothers to do it? Now he's in a moral dilemma. Now he has to kill to save his mom. So again, upping the stakes and driving the conflict. Yeah, I like the bone marrow. So we're going to stick yeah. that in there somewhere. Because uh, I like him having to decide whether he needs to kill, uh, sacrifice himself or kill somebody else and, and bring them. I think that's cool. Right, because that's um, part of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then let's see, we have to get in the total resolution. The mom is going to get cured by, uh, some sort of bone marrow transplant. Um, right. the, the, the main character is going to be okay with the fact that he's a clone because he is still an individual and he still gets to go to college and <clears throat> live his own life. Uh, right. the, the dad is an alien and I guess gets the information that they need from humanity. Um, Dylan, what are some things you want to see in this last part here? before we wrap up the show. Um, I like, I really like that conflict idea of it's like, do I sacrifice myself or do I kidnap another version of myself and do that? Um, I, we would, I, I want some sort of closure on the alien plot. I like the yeah. fact, I like that it's aliens running this entire thing to yeah. learn about humanity, <laughs> but I think there needs to be something in that resolution that deals with that. Right. And if it's yeah. thrown in too late, it's going to feel like a fine, like a swerve at the last minute. Hmm. Yeah. Does okay. he kill it? Does he kill his father and take his place? Does he shut down the entire program, you know, and then you leave yeah. it open for a sequel. Um, there's, there's a lot. Does he make a dirty deal with his father? I mean, there's a lot of different avenues you could go yeah. um, thematically. So you can yeah. work with it. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Okay, well, we're going to work on this offline. Uh, if, if you don't know, we have a live show on Tuesdays called Twitching Upstream, where we take these concepts and then work on them even further. And we put uh, more characters into them, we put more scenes into them, and then Dylan starts working out the screenplays so that uh, eventually we can have like a table reading or something. Uh, but either way, uh, that has been our show. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out and making another weird but great project for some nobodies to work on and something else that I can make Dylan write a lot more. Uh, awesome. We came up with a new theme, uh, which is uh, this interesting alien clone uh, debacle about a high school kid uh, that started out from just a weird concept, which is an ancestry abnormality. Um, if you want to check out the, the progress of this, you can always go to our website, which is somenobodies.com. Uh, we do have a Patreon also, some people that do help out via Patreon. Like I said, Scott Curtis with Behind the Bits, uh, listener app at The Greatest Podcast app, uh, Tonya Sheck, Sarah Tkachik. Uh, you have Mick Manhattan at The Scene Snobs. You have Jeff Dwoskin over at uh, Crossing the Streams. But Honestly, just check out anything. We appreciate it. All we're yeah. really trying to do is create some content and just make people smile by uh, making up weird new shows. 
Uh, if you have any time at all and you're still paying attention, which I do appreciate, please go check out The Guide to Every Screenwriter, uh, which is written by Mr. Jeffrey Calhoun. It's an amazing book that now Dylan and I are going to reference a lot more often because uh, it is the, the most interesting and best way to get your story uh, written properly. And uh, also, if you're into podcasts and you do and you are on Listener App, go check out The Successful Screenwriter. It is a very cool way to uh, find some movies that you might not have heard of and get them broken down by very interesting and very educated people that are way smarter than we are. Uh, Mr. Calhoun, thank you so much for any of your time. Thank you oh, yeah. so much for your knowledge. We have honestly grown a hundredfold just oh, in this you. last conversation. So, um, yeah. Do you want to uh, say anything to anybody that's watching this on Pod TV? Oh, <laughs> you're yep. referring to me. You're, you're on the um, big screen. The guide for every screenwriter. You can also go to uh, the uh, thesuccessfulscreenwriter.com because we have a lot of uh, uh, resources for you on there. I have free screenplays from Hollywood uh, scripts that you can read, courses, recommended screenplay contests, uh, videos, all for free access just for you guys. Awesome. Right on. Yeah. And once again, thank you for your time. Mm -hmm. I know that this is a lengthy show, but we really appreciate it. And uh, it, it makes us better. So thank you. Uh, for anybody out there, thank you very much for your attention. If you know, I crave it. I am an attention hog and uh, I need it. And thank you very much. Dylan, my very best friend, thank you very much for uh, letting me talk at you and sometimes yeah. responding to some of my text messages. I appreciate it. Uh, everybody out there, please check out our stuff. Uh, send us any information. Ask us any question. We do yeah. love you guys very much. Thank you very uh, I have been Zach, he's been Dylan, and you have been great. Thank you. Bye. Take it easy out there, everybody.